0: You're listening to the Block Experience. All things decentralized and open source. Enjoy.
1: Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt the podcast here. I just want to say this episode of The Block Experience is brought to you by our first sponsor, Prime XBT. Whether you're looking to trade some of your favorite cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Litecoin. Or even venture into other markets, Prime XBT always has you covered. Prime XBT offers traders access to a large variety of markets, including cryptocurrencies, stock indices, commodities, and even Forex pairs, and also have some incredible features such as anonymous accounting, uh, Bitcoin deposits and withdrawals, industry leading security, and even the ability to offer 1000 times leverage. I've personally been using PrimeXBT for my trading uh, for the past few months and have had a great experience using the platform, uh, also using the platform's customer service. So I'm really proud that they're supporting this episode of the podcast, uh, bringing you guys a free podcast every week. A link to the services PrimeXBT provide will be below, also a link to sign up to a new account. Uh, So thanks again, PrimeXBT, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Um, and yeah, I hope you continue and like the podcast. Enjoy. So obviously, firstly, uh, thank you, Hudson, for taking the time out of your day to come and have a little chat with me. Um, obviously, I know you're probably extremely busy with things going on. You know, you've got the Corona stuff going on, uh, a lot of working on, on Ethereum right now. But I just appreciate you taking the time to have a little chat with me. And um, if maybe if you want to introduce yourself so people who don't know could just get a little bit of a taste to who you are and what you're doing sure and uh, thanks so much for having me on so uh yeah i'm hudson
0: i um work for the ethereum foundation i do a variety of stuff there such as security devops and um i think my most important thing is community liaison work so i basically work between the core developers and the community and other groups to kind of make sure everyone's communicating uh I also uh, do the core developer call every two weeks, and I also do the um, EIP editing. So the specifications for Ethereum protocol upgrades are something that I'm heavily involved in as far as getting them scheduled, uh, making sure that the people involved in uh, scheduling and setting up the EIPs for those um, are on the right path and things like that. I also have a, uh, let's see, three cats, a wife, and a... Uh, let's see a podcast that does Star Wars tabletop RPG. Love it,
1: absolutely love it. Um, so, I guess I'm gonna sort of be using this sort of to teach myself a lot as well. Because from where I'm standing, I'm a big Ethereum fan. Um, I feel like not many people, unless you're really into the into the depth of talking to like the core team or developers, don't really understand about the Ethereum Foundation. Uh, behind the scenes and what people are working on. So from my perspective, sort of like a little bit of a learning lesson for me. So I think it's going to be super interesting.
0: Absolutely. The, The Ethereum foundation for a while has kind of had this air or, I mean, it's getting a lot better now, but it has had this admittedly weird feeling of like, oh, we don't know what's what for or what's going on there. And I think that um, our executive director, Aya, has done a great job over the last year, two, year and a half, really solidifying what the Ethereum Foundation's about. And we've uh, shifted directions from being a little bit more vague and you know bootstrapping the network from the beginning back in 2014, 2015 into something that's a lot less centralized as a driving force for the ethereum community and it's more something that we want to stay in the background we want to help out we want to support the community but we don't want to be the decision maker
1: right and just just so we can have a brief uh, like overview what is the ethereum foundation specifically and like what is the breakdown of like the hierarchy of uh management i guess like from top to bottom how does that look sure sure so
0: as far as the ethereum foundation goes it's a Swiss nonprofit organization it was originally developed back in uh, 2014 2015 period I'm not exactly sure when but it basically was there to bootstrap ethereum as a technology so the you know first core developers that built the clients and the protocol and people who built built tooling were on this you know, one room uh, either in switzerland or at their workspace in berlin and you can see old pictures of that super interesting to kind of look up old blog posts and see uh, old pictures of how it used to be Uh, but anyways they would work on the protocol and all the administrative stuff would be dealt with by the ethereum foundation including the uh, pre-sale which i'm actually not sure if the ethereum foundation proper dealt with the pre-sale or not because i wasn't really working for them back then so i don't want to say anything that i'm not sure about but certainly they had a big hand in getting ethereum started and then over time they moved into starting the uh series of devcon conferences which is their flagship conference they sponsor conferences throughout the year like um EdCon and stuff like that um, by donating money and sponsorship support. But DevCon is like the big pivotal event in Ethereum land when it comes to getting everybody together and hearing the latest talks. So that's a really big thing the foundation does. And then finally, we have uh, what's called the ecosystem support program. Formally, most of you would know this as the grants program. Uh, but now it's kind of spanning beyond just grants and, you know, doling out money and instead uh, works on supporting different ecosystem uh, initiatives. It supports, uh, you know, the traditional way that you give grants, you know, you apply and then they work with you on a roadmap, timeline, advisors, things like that. And we also help you uh, push yourself into the ecosystem to be, to be self sustaining. Within the foundation itself, There are a bunch of teams. They act pretty autonomously. Some of them include the Solidity team, which is the most popular Ethereum programming language, Geth, which is the most popular Ethereum client, Remix, which is one of the major Ethereum tools to edit smart contracts. And these teams, uh, they're funded by the foundation. A lot of the core components of Ethereum are funded by the foundation and have been for a while. But the teams are allowed to more or less set their own direction with some um, advising and oversight, of course. And I would say the structure of the Ethereum Foundation is non-traditional. At the very top, we have Aya Miyaguchi, who's the executive director. And then we have uh, various people on the operations team, you know, the traditional finance area, legal area, those kind of things. And then under that, we have all of the various development teams and other teams supporting the development teams, such as the DevOps team, the security team, which I'm a part of, Uh, DevCon, it kind of has its own team. And then uh, the special one, in my opinion, that should be noted is ethereum.org because what we're doing is we're trying to shift ethereum.org, the website, to be more community focused and community run. Mm-hmm. So our, the GitHub for it's really open, but the uh, although the Ethereum Foundation does pay some of the people on there, it's largely volunteer run. So we're moving it from an Ethereum Foundation website to an Ethereum community website. So we're trying to just like take a step back support as much as we can but we don't need to be in the limelight we're just here to support ethereum
1: right and i guess it's quite a lot to take in but all in all uh ethereum foundation is like a is a backbone to the ethereum community and like liaisons is like uh development security uh, accounting finance stuff like that
0: yeah, that's all within the foundation itself to support its own entity. I would say that all those things not ne- are not necessarily to support the Ethereum community. Like we don't have a legal team that supports the right, uh, right. community from a broad perspective. No, if you, if, yeah, understand. exactly.
1: Um, so w- when we talk about development, so each team, I guess, there's teams all across the world, just uh, decentralized, um, all separately distributed. They all do they? How do they like manage like tasks or? Deadlines or uh, goals, like who sets them and how do they get achieved? It varies team to team.
0: Um, I don't have insight into a lot of the teams just because I'm not a member of them, obviously. I know that one of the shining stars is the Python team, uh, which encompasses things like ETH PM, the Trinity client, a lot of stuff with BeamSync and ETH 1X and Web3Pi. And that's run by Piper Merriam. And from what I've seen, and this is all public on their GitHub, they have a code of conduct. They have milestones and roadmap that are clearly visible. They have the team members very active on there and active in the different uh, chat channels to help out people as needed. Uh, Usually that's on Gitter. So they're really a shining example of what we like to see. But as far as like an overarching, you know, Here's the. There's not like an uh, authority figure saying here's the right. deadlines, and if you don't reach this deadline, whatever. Because we're really self motivated. The Ethereum Foundation is full of people who are self motivated, and each team has a lead who really takes that responsibility seriously.
1: I understand, and then it's up to the teams to delegate uh, what they want to achieve in certain amounts of time. Uh, pretty much. Um,
0: I would say that they need to. You know, they report on that to both other teams and to keep uh, everybody in sync and also to people like Aya. But otherwise, yeah, I would say that they uh, have a lot of control over what they need to accomplish because they're the experts.
1: Amazing. And just just so we can take a step back, do you want to just talk a little bit about how you originally got involved in the Ethereum Foundation? Sure so between 2014 and 2016 i was working
0: for a bank and insurance company called usaa after college and from 2015 to mid-2016 i ran their blockchain program in the innovation lab during that time i started to get a little bit obsessed with ethereum and this was prior to devcon one but when i heard about devcon one i was like i have to go to that even though it was you know across the sea in London. And I was back in Texas in the US. So um, I like, you know, budgeted the money for myself and got some um, assistance from my parents and stuff like that, who was like, Oh, this is really important to you, it sounds like. And I went over to London and uh, volunteered the first day I got there, I saw that there was some needs that needed to be filled. And I volunteered working with the AV team the check-in team, and some of the stuff with programming and timekeeping. And uh, Ming Chan, the previous executive director of the Ethereum Foundation, um, noticed and asked me if I wanted um, a job similar to some of the stuff I was doing there for DevCon 2, plus some roles with DevOps because she knew of my technical background. So uh, in the summer of 2016, I uh, left USAA and joined the Ethereum Foundation.
1: Wow, so quite a uh, quite a coincidence that you ended up going to London, and then obviously it all all came together then. Yep. <laughs> um, do you want to just talk a little? Lo- so I, I want to go into something a little bit more relevant because I, I I had a few episodes um, recorded this week, and one thing a lot of people seem to be talking about is that obviously the last like year we've had this huge growth when it comes to decentralized finance, um, and the growth has been pretty much parabolic uh, for the last like year. Um, I want to get your thoughts on like, obviously the make a situation just happened. Um, and I, it seems to feel, uh, it seems to me that, uh, a lot of people seem to have a different point of opinion on whether things like this should be prevented, uh, beforehand, but obviously it's hard to predict when these things happen. So I just, I just would like to get your opinion on that. Uh, what's your take sure. on that? Absolutely. So I'm about to say something that a lot of people are going to get mad at me about. This is definitely
0: a hot, hot take. But uh, before all the Black Tuesday to Black Thursday stuff happened with the um, problems with different DeFi protocols, including Maker, I had said, you know, we're a little overdue for a situation like you know, the DAO or something that would cause a lot of uh, pain and suffering to the ecosystem and cause a lot of people to think again about how these protocols are built up. Right. And I basically said, you know, I didn't say like DeFi was going to go away forever. It's not gonna go away forever. But I said, it's overdue for a major event. And then that happened. So what I was surprised about though, was um, during that time, a lot of people came together, which, uh, you know, I'm, surpri- I'm not surprised by, I should say, but it, it was like definitely reinvigorating to see the community at work. Uh, also, the fact that it didn't collapse, uh, DAI is still pegged to the dollar, is really telling about how we can come together as an ecosystem and figure out how to solve really, really complex issues. This really, I think, changed a lot of people's opinions and really brought them back to, oh, this is not software that can support like the world yet. We're not there yet. We don't have scaling. We don't have... Uh, transactions that you know are like m- money-wise scalable so that you know the average person can pay the same amount each time. Right. We don't have systems that are as resilient as we thought. So it was both a wake-up call but at the same time something that was promising and I think will help the future.
1: And I guess when things like this happen, it's pretty much more of a learning curve so that we get these things out of the way now before. Like, let's say this happened uh, three years down the line when Ethereum 2 is being launched and we have a lot more users on board who are probably less inclined to see these huge losses. Uh, These things, if they happen early, then we can fix them, we can solve them, and then we can just adapt and change, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Adapt and change is definitely what we've been doing over the course of the last few years as like a whole technical ecosystem. If you look at ETH 2, we had this original uh, Casper FFG spec, and it was created into an EIP by Danny Ryan, and then we ditched that and combined sharding and uh, sharding and sharding and Casper together. And those are really flourishing right now, as far as the research goes. It's really coming together. But for a while, it seemed a little bit, you know, you know, what's going to happen? Is there a direction here? And I think people have really Come together to show that there is a direction when it comes to ETH 2 but that's just one example of things where it's really hard to organize in a decentralized ecosystem and have uh, a direction sometimes.
1: Yeah I, I completely agree. Apart from DeFi, what are the um, Ethereum-based uh, services I guess you could call it uh, you excited to see grow? Um, I've had a lot of people on uh, who are in the gaming space and they obviously they see a lot of growth with uh, gaming on decentralized uh, platform such as Ethereum, what type of things are you uh, excited to see expand over the next two to three years? Hey everybody, sorry to inter- interrupt the podcast again here. I just want to give a big shout out to our third sponsor of this episode, Axie Infinity. You may have heard a few weeks ago I did a, uh, a podcast episode with Axie Infinity's co-founder Jiho, where we talked about the importance of gaming uh, on the Ethereum blockchain and the impact it will have over the coming years. Well, Axie Infinity is now a sponsor of this podcast and do some incredible work uh, inside the Ethereum community. Uh, Axie Infinity is a Ethereum-based game, like I said, where you can breed, collect, or even buy uh, Axie Infinities from the marketplace. Um, then you can level them up, face, face off against friends, uh, send your Axies into duels and tournaments, and earn yourself some really neat rewards such as Ethereum or in-game items that you can use to level up your characters even further. I'll uh, smart the meta by breeding new axes uh, to gain an edge in a battle, or set up a shop as an Axie breeder and supply axes to the rest of the community where you can earn yourself um, some Ethereum. Uh, I will put a link to all of the services Axie Infinity provide and even a link to sign up to the game down below. Uh, if you would like to check them out, then please feel free to. Um, once again... Um Thank you so much for Axie Infinity for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. I think the product is a real resemblance of this podcast and something that we truly inspire to uh, look forward to in the space. So yeah, we're really excited to see where Axie go in the next few coming weeks. Um, but yeah.
0: I like the, ga- I think the gaming sector is going to be very important for sure um, I was actually just having to, for a DevOps-related task for the foundation, go in and archive a lot of old videos. And one of them was from DevCon 1, and it was the Free My Vunk video. Mm. And if you all go back and look at that, um, it's from DevCon 1, and it was basically a precursor to all of these NFT trading, you know, cross-platform, cross-gaming uh, experiences that we see today. It's super interesting to hear the idea way back in 2015 and then see it come to fruition right uh that's what one thing i'm excited about and then i i tend toward boring use cases actually um insurance um on the blockchain is one that i think is really powerful also oracles i've been obsessed with oracle solutions since 2014 2013 basically the nick zabo paper that dealt with um you know putting real data onto a blockchain uh at what it wasn't called a blockchain at the time these are like 90s papers but you get what i'm saying like putting data from a from an outside system into a closed technical turing complete ecosystem is something that has always interested me which is why i'm a i guess a fan and advisor to Chainlink because i think their team's doing a really good job so i'm excited about that project i'm excited about uh further on down the line getting things like um Fuzzy biometric uh, authentication and uh, distributed identity, and things that would really help bootstrap other use cases that need like specific identity that's you know somewhat anonymous, but at the same time you can uh, look at you know who you are without having to reveal too much about yourself. That also goes into voting and stuff like Macy, and there's just too many for me to count. Actually,
1: you could technically. Do everything you can do in the real world can be put on a, a blockchain anyway. So uh, the the, the, yeah. w- the way we go is just we the more stuff we can get on the blockchain then the more adoption we see really. And I think things like Bank of the Unbanked and things like that uh, are going to play a huge factor into Ethereum's future. Um, Oh, yeah. W- w- could you tell, talk a little bit about uh, the current state of Ethereum 2 development um, and like the sort of li- where it is in the life cycle right now? I know a a lot of people obviously love to talk about Ethereum 2 and it's a big talking point for the next two to three years.
0: Yes, I'm actually not that involved in Ethereum 2.0, so I'll do my best to give a very, very high level on it. Um, We have uh, basically the spec for phase zero, and there is phase zero, one, and two that have been kind of thought of and starting to be spec'd Um, out. Phase zero zero
1: is is frozen. Q2, right? Or Q3,
0: sorry. Um, I don't know about a timeline. Actually, I haven't kept up with that real well. Uh, I will say that that we just got a phase zero uh, like development audit from least authority back the other day, right. and I thought that was a really exciting development. Least authorities a great team and they actually did the prog pal audit as well and they did the um original ethereum audit audit before it launched on so what, what do like they do the so C++ they go through client. they audit
1: all the code the development and they check make sure there's no uh issues or
0: yeah they go through the code they check to make sure there's no issues code wise but they also look at some of the things like the networking stack and some of the economic um Assumptions and some of the technical assumptions that are made by combining all of these blockchain esque elements together.
1: And what and who are they, and what gives them the authority to check it? Because uh, I'm not too familiar myself.
0: Yeah, who gives least authority the authority? Good question. I would say that uh, they have a lot of experience spanning back over not exactly a decade, because but something something around that time. It was founded by Zuko Wilcox, which is a renowned who's a renowned. Uh, you know who made zcash and who was an early cypherpunk Uh, and from there it grew into a team of cryptography and developer experts and blockchain experts so a lot of uh, people do their uh, code audits through least authority and over time they've just built up a i guess curriculum you can say or a you know a group of uh, partners that you know are very well known
1: okay i understand and do you, did you want to talk about any more of the development of ETH 2? you? Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Uh, as far as ETH 2 goes, um, I know that there is a lot of work right now in bridging 1.0 and 2.0 mm-hmm. through an initiative called 1.x. And uh, there's uh, chat rooms that are starting to form that haven't been there before where they're talking about the next steps and putting things like uh, cryptographic curve pre-compiles in ETH 1.0 in order to facilitate the beacon chain in ETH 2.0. And it's uh, starting to come together very, very succinctly,
1: I believe. And when you talk about uh, auditing code, does, I guess the auditing code comes at the end of, so let's say phase zero, they they assume is complete. And then they say, oh, we're ready for audit. They audit it. Uh, so I, is that right? Or do they audit it yeah, so- uh, like every 25% of product uh, completion, let's say? I would say that they you audit it right before you, or not maybe
0: right before you want to launch. You want to do test nets before you launch, but you want to audit it somewhere in the middle to the, you know, middle third of the last quarter.
1: half. Right.
0: Yeah, like third quarter. That's a good way to put it because you want to get the code audited before you run test nets and have to redo things over and over again. Um, not granted, you want to run test nets before then, but not necessarily a major test net. Yeah, I think
1: um, yeah, that's yeah. really useful to know because I think we can sort of get a good estimate of where they are uh, in terms of development.
0: Oh, yeah, that's absolutely an indicator of that, and that's just a software development cycle must when it comes to something of this magnitude. Uh,
1: there's something I also wanted, which you mentioned, uh, wanted to get your opinion on, because I am not familiar with this at all, but I actually want to understand it a little bit more. Uh, could could you talk a little bit about the ProgPo prog situation? Yeah, absolutely. So... <laughs> That's Which is been like, controversial is programmable in the Programmable proof of work, right?
0: Yeah. Um programmable uh proof of work, I believe. Oh no, programmatic proof of work, I believe was uh the acronym. I could be wrong. Um but basically there uh there ET hash is the current mining algorithm we use for uh mining on Ethereum. Right. And about Year and a half ago, um, or so, the what 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 is it is it March already? Yeah, it's March, March. twenty twenty. Okay, so it is. It was about yeah, roughly a year and a half or more ago. A group called If Def Else, which is a semi anonymous group, uh, created an alternative to Et Hash because there was about to be Asics on the Ethereum network, and Asics did come out on the Ethereum network with the Bitmain E threes, and to make a long story short. Over the past year and a half, it's been often on discussion about including it. It was approved to be included in January 2019 uh, to a future um, network upgrade, and that didn't happen for a while. Um, there's a lot of theories as to why that didn't happen, if it was just avoided or there were more important things. But regardless, it was kind of off the radar for a while, and people forgot about it or didn't realize it was happening in the first place because there wasn't enough communication between the community and the core developers. And so when it was brought up again near the end of 2019, people were very upset that they weren't as involved in the decision. They felt like it was an unnecessary risk, things like that. On the other side, there are uh, vulnerabilities in ET hash that need to be dealt with, possibly, uh, depending on how you feel about the economics of miners from ASICs pushing GPUs off the Mm. network and a bunch of other factors. So I would say that that discussion went back and forth uh, December and January, and then by the end of January, roughly, we'd come to a decision that, um, and when I say we've come to a decision, I'm talking about the community and I'm talking about my perspective on the community decision, which is that they do not want ProgPow regardless of if it's right or wrong the primary reason that i got from most people was that we weren't involved in this decision and because of that we don't want it to go in so what is like the
1: sort of voting i guess you could say but how do you normally gauge uh, if it's something's going to be approved or not approved Who, who does the who does the approval and who who gets to say have a say
0: i actually just put a blog post out about this that i can uh talk about. It's on HudsonJameson.com. And that blog post explains that it depends on the type of EIP. So there are different uh, Ethereum improvement proposals, which are like our technical specifications. Mm -hmm. There's some that are community run like ERC20, the token standard, or the NFT standard. And then there's some called core EIPs. Core EIPs go into protocol upgrades, hard forks, network upgrades, whatever you want to call it. Those core EIPs, are developed and decided by the core developers during the biweekly core developer meeting. Most of the time, they're very boring, like whether to add snappy compression to the network layer and stuff like that. And people don't really care, like pre-compiles. But sometimes there are more controversial issues that the core devs don't want to deal with the political implications (laughs) of, such as lowering the issuance of uh, the mining reward or changing the mining algorithm. Or things like that, that they might not have as much expertise in from an economic or technical level. So when it goes there, ultimately the core developers decide if it goes in or not because they're the ones coding the clients, but everyone at the end of the day has a choice to run their node or not, So or mine on this on the chain that you want. So it, there was enough of a risk of progpow causing a chain split according to certain people that it seems to be benched for now, There are some complications from a process perspective of how to make an EIP go from accepted to not accepted because we haven't really planned for that ever. And that's never really happened with a core EIP that I can remember. So there is some complication there. But to answer your question of who decides it, the core developers decide it, but they they are altruistic and they try to listen to the community as much as possible. Understood.
1: This might sound like a really stupid question, but where does Vitalik uh, sort of like sway into this? I've, I did hear and I did read that he doesn't have pretty much any say, like it's pretty much a completely decentralized vote or whatever, um, compared to maybe seven or eight years ago. But I, if you could just uh, inf- fill me in on that.
0: Sure. So yeah, Vitalik is definitely a, an important voice in the ecosystem, but less important than when Ethereum started. Right. At the first, it was like his voice really, really mattered all the way up until you know a few years ago. But now there's so many people involved and so many more prominent community positions because they've worked their way through different uh, code contributions or community contributions or things like that. That really, there's a variety of people now uh, and a variety of entities who can step up and say, I want to take an opinion on this. So, you know, it's never been the case that Vitalik's always right. I personally think he has really good judgment and I think he's an asset to the ecosystem and he created the damn thing. But at the same time, uh, as we grow, it's important to step back from, you know, our altruistic, uh, decentralized. Uh, or non-decentralized centralized uh, aspect of building ethereum and go into a more decentralized uh still you know caring and uh, smart decision-making processes that we have today
1: no i completely agree i think like uh, as ethereum grows over the next i don't know where however long um, the, taking a step back and making it more decentralized is definitely the right approach but even though it probably still means that, let's say he came out and said, I don't know if he did, I, he might have, uh, if he came out and said, I really like Prog uh, ProgPow, uh, it's sort of like a ripple effect through the community where a lot of people understand him and listen to him and respect his opinion, and that would probably sway their uh, opinion as well, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think there's, that's still the case with a lot of people. Right uh you know listening to vitalik and getting their opinion swayed or at least making them think again about it and i don't think that's a bad thing no. you know uh I, I think that's perfectly fine there's definitely more people than him in the ecosystem that have that effect um people from the geth team and the eth 2.0 research team and from eth hub and consensus and Gollum and gnosis and all these other uh dApps, entities companies for profits non-profits that have a say in things today
1: yeah i completely agree um one last thing uh which i wanted to get your opinion on is about like gitcoin Git- grants and how they work um, obviously they sure. use a lot now and they seem to be really popular right now with uh funding development obviously um but i have seen some sort of controversial statements and articles about uh people getting funding for uh let's say just tweeting stuff or hosting a podcast and that seems to be where people are not so fo- fond, considering anybody I think can make a, a contribution, like I could get contribution, for example, for doing something. Yeah, the Gitcoin grants
0: program is absolutely necessary and a really, really cool way to experiment with things like quadratic funding and CLR matching and things like that that have been ideas within the ecosystem and within kind of people who do economic modeling and things like that so i think it's important number one number two although i don't understand all the nitty-gritty underlying specifications and technicals of it i think it's worked pretty well especially the last few funding uh you know the last two the last few funding rounds i've seen very important niche projects be funded when they weren't funded by any other sources there was the like you mentioned the controversy with Having people from you know Twitter and Reddit commentators and YouTubers and podcast hosts uh getting some funding. My take on that, and this I'm for kind of I'm what, for that. By the way, oh you 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 better be for that. I mean you're
1: a podcaster.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I mean I can I totally get,
1: understand that side. What what what's your opinion on it though? Because I don't really see any issue with it. Because if if you're, let's say for somebody now they. They posted stuff on Twitter and they did some uh, community interaction-based uh, stuff. And they're asking for Gitcoin grants. Uh, they don't. There's no, There's no, nothing stopping nobody from giving them a grant. If they, if somebody wants to give them a grant, then that's their decision of where they want to put their money.
0: Yeah, and I think part of the counter to that, which I don't always, I don't necessarily agree with, is that this with this matching they're kind of getting extra money than oh. they would have if someone had contributed. Oh, that,
1: that might be the, one of the main factors then.
0: Yeah. And and the thing is I I still think that it's important and not not because I, I think that if you everyone should just stop and think about how they got into Ethereum. Right. Was it a tweet? Was it a YouTube video? Was it someone taking the time and learning from those tweets and YouTube videos about Ethereum and then spreading the word? Was it a meetup where you had a recording and then people spread the news about that recording? You know, it's they're under they're underappreciated, and I think that's something that Gitcoin can help rectify and has with uh, people like uh, Antipro and Twigwam and EthHub and other community-oriented, less technical projects and people being able to. Uh, get some funding. I think that that's important. I'm all for it. And people who say otherwise, I think are looking too closely at the technicals of it. And you know, marketing's important. There's also a tweet I made that kind of got a lot of traction a few months ago that I used to believe that at, at certain stages of the Ethereum development life cycle, as far as like an ecosystem life cycle, that we need to just build the thing and then go to marketing and then go to more, you know, evangelism. But looking at it now with all the other blockchains and all the crappy blockchains who have better marketing than us, it's really a problem of if they have better marketing than us, then they're going to go ahead and uh, beat us. And, and this, even if we have the better technology, this has happened time and time again with other technologies and, different technology wars and I think that it's important now that we do marketing more than ever
1: I, I actually think there's a little bit of a counter to that where let's say someone I don't know why they would but let's say somebody is interested in Tron they've been marketed Tron on Facebook for example uh, they, they buy some Tron and they're interested in it as soon as they get intre- interested in the blockchain community they start learning about other projects and stuff they will inst- I, I assume they, they would normally start looking into Ethereum when they realize everyone's talking about it and it's it's the best uh, blockchain on the in existence. I on the block. Say.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Um, I don't know if I have a counter to the counter necessarily, but I will say both tech and marketing are important. Um, evangelism is important. It's all important and funding should go toward all of it. Um, especially once ETH2 starts... Making it like slowing down as far as integral and important development and going more toward maintenance. Right. That's when we need to bring people in to start using it because if there's more usage, there's more money flowing, there's more activity, there's more you know people doing donations like Gitcoin and supporting nonprofits and supporting pro- uh, for profits and enterprise uh, style uh, companies that are really pushing for Ethereum mainnet.
1: And one, one small thing you could do, like, let's say Gitco- Gitcoin grants could implement would be like, because obviously Gitcoin grants, I think is the best when it's, I, in, in my opinion, uh, it's for best for independent individual developers or small teams who want funding to work on something uh, around the Ethereum space. Uh, but then I guess you could, for people who just want to post tweets and just do some marketing, maybe they could turn down the amount they're being uh, matched. So maybe like a 25% match for uh Social, um, and then like a 100% match for development. And then they could adjust the scale depending on what the community wants.
0: Like a mutual fund or something.
1: Right, right. I think that'd be quite interesting. Oh,
0: I think it would too. Or like, I think it'd be really cool if you had exactly what you're talking about, where you have some in marketing, some in uh, different sectors, technology, and you have someone like a broker, uh, like a stock broker or an investment advisor who manages that portfolio mm. for you. But instead of getting returns, you get statements from those projects saying how much that they've used or how much this has affected them. And maybe there can be some kind of quantifiable statistic that you get back from your contribution uh, that shows not like a monetary you know reward that you get but a social reward. Right. And if you can quantify that by like you supported ETH and they grew by this many users per month, like stuff like that would be really neat.
1: Yeah. Amazing. Um, Amazing. Do you want to give a quick shout out to where people can find uh, articles you've written or projects you're working on or where they can find you on Twitter, maybe? Sure.
0: So you can find me on Twitter at Hudson Jameson. Uh, You can find me at Hudson Jameson.com for uh, my blog and contact info. I have a lot of YouTube videos where I've spoken on the community governance, a little bit on solidity and things like that and then recently i've been on the tech uh, been i guess uh, put on the technical steering committee for the baseline protocol which is a effort to bring ethereum enterprises and businesses onto the mainnet so using the mainnet instead of these crappy consortium or private right. blockchains and i think that's a really cool initiative and one of the newest ones i'm a part of so just wanted to give that a shout out amazing thank you so much thank you